Stay tuned for a word from the Lord. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today, Dr. Beach brings us his message entitled, Consequences of Walking in the Power of the Holy Spirit. Here now is our speaker and teacher for A Word from the Lord, Dr. Foley Beach. Father, um, as we open your word this morning, we pray you would uh, fill us with the joy of your spirit, that uh, what we hear this day, we'd be able to apply in our lives and walk in the power of your spirit. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God desires you and me to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do, there can be some consequences to this which we don't often expect. Jesus models for us the spiritual life and what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, He's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what are some of the consequences for us when we do walk and we live in the power of the Spirit? You see, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given you this incredible treasure, the Holy Spirit. He has given you this gift, this spectacular, incredible gift, not because you're better than anybody else, not because you've been ordained, or not because you're a special person. You've been given the Holy Spirit because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit, because He is the Holy Spirit, is attempting to do some things in you and me and through you and me to make us like Jesus. The Holy Spirit literally comes and indwells us. He takes up residence in our being. We call this being born again or born of the Spirit when we come to know Him. But he not only indwells us, he baptizes us with his spirit, and we're empowered and filled in a way that we're able to follow him and live the Christian life. He also begins to manifest his fruit in our life, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his gentleness, his kindness, his faithfulness and self-control. He also gives us gifts of the Holy Spirit which are given to help us accomplish His will for us and through us in our lives. Now, when He does all this, there are some dynamics which begin to occur that it's good to know about. And so, if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open up to Luke chapter 4. If if you don't, I believe the text is in the bulletin for you. But Luke chapter 4, we're going to begin with verse 14. If you're new to the Bible, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Luke writes, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He shows up in Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, in the context of Jesus' life and what we've been told at this point, we know that he had been baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And remember, when he was baptized, what happened? The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And then we're told, as soon as he was baptized, that the Holy Spirit then leads him out into the desert, out into the wilderness, where he spends 40 days in prayer and fasting. And during that time, he was tempted by the devil. He was asked to do some things and say some things which would have blasphemed God. But he resists the temptations by quoting scripture and saying no. 
So now he's returning from that, and we're told he's returning in the power of the Spirit. Now, the word power is from a Greek word, dunamai, which is where the word we get dynamite from. It means ability, it means abundance, it means miraculous power, it means energy. And the idea here is wherever the Spirit is, there is action. God's action in God's energy. Power. So verse 15 says, He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. He was doing all this in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 16, it says, He went to Nazareth where He'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day He went into the synagogue as was His custom. So he goes back to his hometown, Nazareth, and notice it says it was his custom to go to the synagogue, to go to church. I know I hear often folks say something like this, I don't have to go to church to worship God. I, I could worship Him at the beach or in my home or on the mountains. And Yes, you can do that. But we're told here that it was the custom of Jesus to go to church every week. And if it was His custom, don't you think He might have been modeling something for us? to think about. Well, that's all kind of a side note. Jesus, he's in church, and he's asked to read the lesson of the day, and so he picks up the scroll, and he reads from Isaiah. And when he's finished, he, he gives the scroll back to the attendant, and he sits down, which was how a rabbi would have taught. And then look at verse 21, and he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he returns to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and now he's saying that the Spirit of the Lord is on him, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. See, go back to 18, verse 18. This, he's, this is the prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's saying that now this Spirit is on him. Well, look at the response of the people. Verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? It's a mixed reaction. At first, they're, they're kind of amazed at how he's speaking and these gracious words that flow from his lips, and they're impressed with his speaking ability. But then skepticism hits. Isn't this Joseph's son? We know Jesus. He grew up with us. He's just the carpenter's son. They begin to be skeptical. Mark, in his account, goes a little bit further in detail. In Mark chapter 6, verse 1, we find that they were already upset because he'd not done any major miracles in Nazareth. He'd only healed a few sick people. This is what it says. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, and that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judith, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Verse 5, He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now remember, we're told that Jesus showed up walking in the power of the Spirit. 
He's already told his hometown folks, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, quoting from Isaiah. So he responds to their lack of faith by addressing it head on. And he illustrates how similar it was to some of their ancestors. Look at verse 23. He quotes a proverb. Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. He hits it head on. Walter Leefield writes this. He says, Jesus' response is not intended to reassure his audience, but rather to draw out their subconscious attitudes, that they would challenge him to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy by doing those miracles in the presence of those who heard him. Well, Jesus doesn't stop there. Look at verse 24. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And that's just true. I mean, some of you have come to know the Lord, and, and what have your family and friends said? Some of you have gone back to visit folks at reunions and stuff, and, and what's been the reaction from a lot of your folks? When you grow up with someone, it's difficult to hear them tell you what you've done wrong or what's wrong with you. But Jesus continues this sentiment by illustrating how their lack of faith in him is like the sin of their ancestors. He draws on the experience of two famous prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And they would have known these stories well. Verse 25. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Isaiah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now God could have sent Elijah to one of the Jewish widows. But where did God send Elijah when he was hiding from Ahab and Jezebel? To a Jewish widow? No. To a Gentile widow. You see, the Jews of that day had so compromised their faith to Baal and the political correctness of their day that with this immortal God that they were serving, he couldn't send Elijah to them. They couldn't be trusted to care for God's prophet. So God had to send him to those awful Gentiles. Verse 27. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman, the Syrian. God could have used Elisha to heal one of those Jewish lepers. But no, he heals one of those despicable Gentiles. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit goes right to the heart of a person's sin. He doesn't skim the surface. He cuts deep to get to the real issue and the real problem. And this is what happens here. Their lack of faith is rooted in their Jewish prejudice and arrogance. God was their God and nobody else's. There was no concern that the good news would be preached to the poor Gentiles or the poor Gentile prisoners or the Gentile blind or the Gentile oppressed. Even though their scriptural mandate from Isaiah said that they were to be a light for the Gentiles. 
But they'd hear none of this. And so the Holy Spirit leads Jesus to say exactly what they needed to hear to expose their hearts. And look at their response. Verse 28. All the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. It took only six verses, or a few minutes, from them being amazed, to being skeptical, to being furious, to being murderous. By the way, Nazareth still sits on that cliff. Look at verse 30. But he walked right through the crowd, went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. So he leaves his hometown, Nazareth, and he goes down to Capernaum, which he eventually sets up as his ministry headquarters. And all his ministry flows forth from there. So what can we learn for our lives about the Holy Spirit in all of this? Several things. First, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led him there. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead us to the dry and barren places in life so that we will learn to trust God and learn to rely on Him. One of my surprises when I went to Israel for the first time was how beautiful the desert is. The Judean wilderness and the desert areas around the Dead Sea are absolutely beautiful, but they're barren. But you know what? It's in the desert place that God can speak and that God often speaks. We see this again and again in the Bible. It's something about being in the wilderness that tunes our ears to being able to hear Him. So sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead us into the desert. A second thing, having the power of the Holy Spirit does not mean we will not face temptation. It does not mean we will not face temptation. As soon as Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, He was led into the desert wilderness and He encountered temptation. Now, temptation is not a bad thing. The issue is how we respond to temptation. If we resist temptation with the authority of the Scripture, we're deepened and we're strengthened. And that's what Jesus did. He quoted the Scriptures and when He was tempted, and so must we. By the way, Jesus is the only one I've ever known about who did not give in to His temptation. Every one of else in all human history, has given in at some point. And this is why the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, he's writing to Christians. He says, I write this to you that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Being filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean you will not encounter temptation. A third thing, Jesus did his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, and so must we. He did his ministry in the power of the Spirit, and so must we. No matter what your ministry is, it may, your ministry may be being a mom at home, it may be a teacher, it may be a businessman out in, in this corporate wildness that we see right now. Whatever your ministry is, 
We're to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We serve God in God's power, not our strength. We serve God with God's wisdom and understanding, not just human wisdom and understanding. This is the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They release the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our ministries so that Jesus can accomplish his will through us and in us. A fourth thing to consider from this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us interpret the Scripture. Helps us interpret the Scripture. Just as Jesus was able to read and interpret for his listeners the truth and the meaning of the Scriptures, so the Holy Spirit will give us understanding as well. After all, it is his book. I mean, he's the author of it. Listen to 2 Peter 1.21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who gave us this book, and it's the Holy Spirit who helps us understand it, and it's the Holy Spirit who helps us interpret it to, to the situations and issues that we counter in our lives today. We can't just think we can pick up this book and teach it without the Holy Spirit. And a fifth thing here. Oftentimes, when you speak in the power of the Holy Spirit, the listeners will refuse to hear the message of the Lord, and their response will not be pleasant. The Holy Spirit has a way of cutting through all the stuff and speaking right to where we need to hear it, whether we want to or not. And unless our hearts are open to God, we'll react or rebel instead of repent, which is what he wants us to do. Jesus was pointing out these folks' real issue, hoping that their hearts would be turned. But rather than repenting, what did they do? They reacted and they rebelled. Sometimes we think our hearts are open to God and sometimes he has to pry us away from our selfish and self-centered ambitions. This happens to our listeners as well. Now, those are just some of the consequences, but they're things we need to be aware of and not surprised by. And we have victory in that, even amidst all that other stuff going on. I mean, think a minute. We're living in a world and in a culture that's very ungodly. And when you bring the godly to it, what's going to happen? There's going to be some reaction. When we planted this church nine years ago, we did so because we believed the Holy Spirit was leading us. I mean, I asked the question many times, why do we need another church? I mean, there are all these other churches around. We believed he wanted a new church, which was based on the teaching of the Bible, not on the latest fad in culture or academia. Now, we've had our desert experiences along the way. We've been led by the Holy Spirit. We've been tempted along the way especially to get off purpose, off mission. And when we have, the Lord has graciously brought us back on task. And we found that ministry in this place is best done in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we've seen people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We've seen lives changed. We've seen people healed. We've seen people delivered from evil spirits. We've seen His miracles, miracles not only in the lives of our membership, individual lives, but miracles corporately. We've seen many of the poor helped and many of the needy taken care of. We've seen God use people in our congregation and mission literally all over the world. 
But this kind of thing will only happen as we remain in the Holy Spirit. Seeking not to do ministry in our own strength or or what we just think sounds good, but following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and in His power. And one last thing, we've taken biblical positions as a church on many cultural issues. And we've seen some people react and literally go, like this passage says, go from praising us to cussing us. We as a congregation are attempting to follow Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. And yet we've seen some of the consequences. But Jesus is Lord, and He's still on the throne. And no matter what comes our way, He is for us and not against us. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you must understand, living the Christian life works only when you're in the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, your spiritual life denigrates into legalism, cynicism, or culturalism. It doesn't work without the Holy Spirit. He is the fuel which makes the engine run for the spiritual life. He is the electricity which turns on the lights in our relationship with God. Jesus said to his disciples that he would be the gift that the Father would give to wait for it. Jesus said to his followers that they would receive power from this Holy Spirit when he came upon them to be his witnesses. And remember on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, filled the disciples, and everybody wanted to know what was going on. And Peter preaches this incredible sermon. And at the end of the sermon, people are cut to the quick. Their hearts are saying, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is for all of us. And yes, there is love and there's joy and there's peace and all these unspeakable, wonderful things in the Holy Spirit. And yet, like Jesus, even when he was in the power of the Spirit, there were consequences. Do we honestly think it'll be any different for us? It isn't. But God always has the victory. God always has the last word. So congregation, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. That was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit a word from the Lord. There you will find today's sermon and previously aired messages where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. A Word from the Lord also has audio archives of Foley Beach's one-minute radio feature and much more. So visit awordfromthelord.org for audio, articles, and information about the ministry. You can also find us on Facebook and be sure to click the like button to follow our feed. Also, you can visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. Again, his blog address is bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. And for those of you who love Twitter and to tweet, you can follow Foley on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com at Foley Beach. That's twitter.com at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at a word from the Lord 
Again, his email address is foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. For those of you who don't use Facebook, Twitter, or email, you can still contact him by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Again, our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. And we thank you for the opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us here again for the next broadcast. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.